Welcome to The Cold Truth, CryoCure's podcast where we speak with industry leaders to dispel myth from truth and help the world better understand the ever-changing cannabis landscape. And now, here is your host, CryoCure co-founder and CEO, Tracy McAfee. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cold Truth. I am so excited to share with you our very first episode where I have two very special guests today. I've got Jennifer Wetzel with us. She is the founder of Lady Jane Brands and also the founder of a really great study, which is what we're going to talk about today, of women in cannabis. And she's also the co-founder of the Maine Growers Marketplace. Joining her is a really great friend of ours and friend of CryoCure is Rochelle Gordon. She is a psychedelics and cannabis writer and a really great one at that. And she's also a partner on the study as well. And I'm just really glad you guys could join us today. I've been hearing about this study all over the place um, in various circles as I've been traveling through the country. And it's coming up launching soon. And I just really would like to share with everyone today what it's about and the importance in our industry. But first, I wanted to ask, why? Why did you decide to do this study? And hasn't somebody done this before? Well, first, thanks for having us. I really appreciate that. We're excited to get this study launched. Um, and, you know, I, there is some data out there about women in cannabis. I would say that this is the most comprehensive study on women who work in the industry. Um, back in 2019, I was going to sponsor the National Women of Cannabis Conference as Lady Jane Branding. And I decided to do an activation there um, to engage the women at the, at the conference. And I decided to do a survey. And when I was trying to figure out what the topic was going to be, I was thinking about all of the stories that I was hearing on social media about women's experiences, whether it was bullying or harassment or you know, not being able to get funding. And all of these stories are great anecdotes, but as we know, because we keep being told in cannabis, anecdotes aren't data. So my okay. background is in marketing and advertising and um, consumer research, market research. I'm a data nerd, and I really like to tell data-driven stories to help businesses make better decisions. And so when I thought about gathering data, I wanted to better understand women's experiences, not just working in the industry, but understanding them as people um, and understanding what makes them tick because that helps you understand how to sell to women, perhaps bring new women into the cannabis space as consumers or as um, employees or business owners. So I felt like gathering this data would, would um, be helpful for the industry, whether it was for policymaking, for uh, inclusion and diversity or, or just business. Data is good for business. Did you have to keep going to find a lot of women to participate or did they clamor to you to participate? What was the experience like in gathering that data? Well, you know, we um, we sent out the survey through social media and word of mouth. I did a lot of PR and, um, you know, a number of organizations sent out the survey link. We had over 1600 women begin the survey. It was quite long. It was over 100 questions. It took 20 minutes. Um, 820 got all the way to the end but most of them filled out most of the questions. Uh, we did 16 video interviews with Wendy Borman, uh, the producer and director of Mary Jane's The Women of Weed. We did 23 qualitative interviews. What was very interesting is that 
over 500 women said that they wanted to participate in the qualitative in interview. They all wanted to tell their story. Unfortunately, we didn't have the budget to do any more than 23. Um, we had the survey open from about November 2019 to March of 2020. And we really tried to make sure that we were including as many people as we could. So there was a pretty big push to get it um, to get it out there. The survey, I would say, is underrepresented with young women. Um, it's the the study sample um, tends to be a bit older, a lot of business owners, almost half of them are business owners. So, you know, if there's anywhere where we're light on representation, it's with the younger um, demographic. That's interesting. Well, what, you know, what was the big, biggest surprise, I have to ask, being that we're dispelling myths and what was your biggest surprise from this that you saw from the data that you collected? Um, I would say there were a number of surprises. Um, what I would say is some of the most interesting data was about consumption, um, because we did ask about consumption, how often, why, and you know what forms work best for you. And one of the things that we did is a, a follow-up study with current and curious consumers in legal states. So we mm -hmm. talked to thousands of women so that we could actually compare what I'll call industry insiders, who were you know, the women in the Women in Cannabis study to consumers and those who are curious, they may have tried before or curious and have never tried before. And you know, we found that 69% of industry insiders use cannabis daily. Now wow. 59% of general consumers. Hmm. You know, and I think the most surprising was um, the majority of women who work in cannabis are using it for um, general emotional health and wellness and patience and stress relief, but also about <laughs> um, 60% for mental health conditions. 60% of the women in this study use cannabis for mental health conditions. That seems like uh, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. What about you, Rochelle? What did you find in this study that you thought was most like, like shocking? Not shocking, but like, hmm, I didn't think about it that way. What did you find out? Well, that data definitely was fascinating to me as well. Just, you know, the fact that so many people are using cannabis therapeutically, so many women in our industry. What I found really interesting about the study was how the majority, the vast majority of women don't feel that the space is equitable, but they do feel like they're successful, um, which I think is truly inspiring and really speaks to just the resilience and dynamic nature of the women in this space who are have a passion for the plant and who want to keep going no matter what, you know, no matter all the obstacles that, pe that people face, even just being in this industry, right? Because there's so many challenges, but being a woman compounds that so much. But the fact that at the end of the day, we still feel successful and feel good about what we're doing every day truly inspired me. Well, that's really good too. Absolutely. Um, what roles do women tend to gravitate to in cannabis did you guys discover? Either one of you open to the answer. Um, I, would, I would say that the sample... Um, would indicate that women tend to be in creative and support roles. Um, so working on branded consumer packaged goods or in creative services like advertising, marketing, PR. Um, at retail, about 23% work in retail. Um, consultants and coaches um, was about 22%. 
there was about 17% of our sample that were growers or cultivators. So it was fewer, I would say, in those direct plant touching roles than in support roles. You know, I can attest to that. We do uh, live demonstrations at our headquarters for CryoCure. And in about the four years that we've been doing this, I can tell you we've had two women as on the cultivation and processing end come through the door. It's very few women that I see in those positions, 100%, which I find surprising in a way. But, you know, we talked before, of the, all of us, maybe it's because a lot of women didn't come from the legacy market per se, you know, and that tended to be more male. And so that's why they're more in that cultivation processing role. But I do see a great deal of women when I go to the corporate headquarters, I see them in the purchasing areas. I see them um, in the marketing, the sales, the working as retail associates, you know, they're there, but it is really nice to see. I don't see a lot of barricades a lot of times, based on gender, but I do see heavy male presence in the cultivation and processing and still at this point, it's still considered a little more guyish, you know? It very much is. And, you know, I, I witnessed this at my own main growers market, you know, when I um, talk to, to the women growers and processors um, who tell me about their experiences in a market where, yes, it's male, very male dominant. Yeah. And I heard this in, in the stories in the study. And, you know, I spoke to hundreds of women over the past couple of years while doing this study. And I kept hearing very similar stories, particularly in cultivation, where, you know, there was a woman there doing an amazing job. Um, and then she gets demoted or fired. And a man wow. is brought in um, with less experience and is paid more. So many times I heard that story. And it was really, wow, it's really sad. Um, but I have to mention it because it, I heard it so many times. It's a very common theme. Well, and other industries too, sadly, I would just kind of hope that as this industry evolved, maybe we could stop some of that, you know, from happening, but it happens everywhere, unfortunately, you know, but I think uh, what I'm liking about is women in this industry, we've just formed this really great tribe and we're open to sharing information and helping each other rise. There's so many groups for women in cannabis I can't even like follow them all. I can't join them all. And they're all such great purpose of just joining together and helping each other as women. And I think that studies like what you're doing and bringing these statistics to various companies so they can market and um, work with females appropriately and, and make the industry grow to where being a man or a woman doesn't even matter anymore in the future. And I think you're going to help that a lot. That's really great. I really would love that, um, you know, but but one of the things I'll say is that in the study, we asked about bullying and lack of support from other women. And that happens too. There's a significant percentage who've said I've been bullied or I've experienced a lack of support from other women. Um, how can we do better? Rochelle, what do you think? How can we do better? I know that you wrote this incredible story recently um, on women's experiences at MJ BizCon. And it was a really unique story. I thought it was very open and real. And um, I agreed with a lot of it and some I didn't, but I thought it was very important. How can we do better within the industry, our shows, our media? What do you think, Rochelle? What, what was your, well, first off, it's two part. What was the response from that article? And to either one of you, how can we do better? Or how can employees do better or owners or anybody in the industry do better? 
Um, well, I can say that I was not prepared for the response um, and how, <laughs> how widely it was shared. Um, and I still have people who come up to me saying, I read your article. This is how I feel about it. Um, it happened to me just last night. Um, and so, but I knew that people would also ask me that question, how can we do better? And the truth was, was that, you know, I don't have all of the answers, no one does, but I really felt like this women in cannabis study could be a really great catalyst to help enact some of that change and develop those answers. Um, because we do need to do better, we can do better. We're writing this narrative as it happens. And the unfortunate fact is the shared experience, as Jennifer was saying earlier, you know, is so real and is feedback that I get all the time. And then the question, how can we do better? I think that um, Jennifer has developed a really interesting approach, a three-pronged ap approach, starting um, you know, with an introspection. I want to let her discuss it um, because I think it's a really great way to sort of enact change, starting with ourselves and then looking outward. So I'm going to let her take it from here on that. Oh, great. So the just like Rochelle said, I don't have all the answers. I can't as one person. It's going to take a, a community, an industry to make change. But to me, the, the first place to start is with personal responsibility and introspection. Really do some education and some reading and some thinking and some take a hard look at yourself. I have, I've done it. Um, and consider like, where have I been the asshole in the situation? Where have I been the bully? Where have I been the, the perpetrator? Because we're all the perpetrator in somebody's story. So sit and think about that. Where can you do better? You know, do some do some research. And it also, it's also about helping others along, you know, gently guide other people when they are doing or saying other things that are not um, inclusive, you know, but do it gently. Like it's, we, everybody needs it. The second prong I would say is active allyship. And that's really asking yourself, how can I help? How can I spend my privilege? How can I, what can I share? What can I do? And we did ask women, what was most helpful to you? You know, when other women are helping you and it's making connections and introductions. Well, money's one, but making intro introductions and connections is really helpful. So be free with those. You know, and the third is systemic change. Like what can the industry do to make things better for people? Is it unions? Is it conscious capitalism, disruptive capitalism? What, what is it? I'm not sure. Um, that is going to be what takes a, a bigger discussion, but also action. Because you know what? We can talk about this all we want, and that's not going to change things. We actually right. do things, hard things, um, uncomfortable things to make change. And right now, I can tell you that since we gathered the data, based on everybody that I've spoken to recently, things have gotten worse, not better. So we need to actually gather more data. Like we're going to be looking for funding to, to redo the research so that we can see how things have changed. This was only meant to be a right. baseline. Right, and, and speaking of funding, you have put an incredible amount of time and financial expense, both of you into this project and the people working with you. I get that. And you know, when you told me you were not gonna charge for people to access the results to this study, it just blew my mind because you are not in it for financial gain. You truly are here to help. And I think that is just one of the small or the big way that you're helping, you know, and just doing what you say, which is great, both of you. And, um, you know, where can people find this study? When, when you said it's going up on the 3rd of March, right? 
Yep, these are counting by quickly. Okay. And then how can someone access it? And and, and are you going to be doing future studies too? Yep, the women the the website is womenincannabis.study. It's one of those fancy ones. It's not a .com. Um, and we will have the link. We'll, we will email out the link to everyone on the list. So you can sign up now to, to get that link on the third and we will send out the, the document. It'll be a downloadable document. Um, you know, and it's, I, I made it free because I didn't want money to be a barrier to accessing the data. It's important. Um, it's a very long report. I, I don't actually anticipate everybody's going to read every word, but I think that it's important for people to, to have it, to really look at the data and under, and the stories and understand that these are our experiences and we need to share them so that we can make things better. Right, agreed, absolutely. Rochelle, is there anything that you're going to do? What's your messaging as a writer? You know, what, what's on your platform for writing this year? You know, are you gonna focus more on women's issues? Or are you, what's on your platform for? getting messages out and helping the cause for women this year? Well, that's something that's really, you know, become more and more crystal clear to me that that's what I need to be doing is amplifying the voices of people who maybe haven't had a chance to have their voice amplified in the past. Um, and that's something that's become so clear to me and something that Jennifer and I often discuss. And the point that she makes is that when people write history books, who's often left out, it's women, right? And so as as a journalist, I really take it as a really intense responsibility to share these stories and to get it right um, and to make sure that people can get their names out there. Um, so I really wanna profile more women. I wanna talk about the Women in Cannabis Study. I've been talking about it. I'm excited to keep talking about it. I'm excited to write more about women in the industry and not just cultivators and retailers and brands, but extractors and glass blowers and, and all of these women who, who've been in the industry um, grinding and hustling and, and, get, and trying so, so hard to succeed, um, elevating them. That's what I'm really excited about. So I would love to spend more time, especially in Northern California with women growers, I would love to spend more time with women and women extractors. So I definitely invite all women, if you're in the industry, reach out to me, DM me, hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me tell your story. Um, it's something that I definitely would love to do and would be honored to do. So being that this is a show called The Cold Truth, where we try to dispel myths within the cannabis industry and the plant. Jennifer, how about you? Do you have any myths that you'd like to dispel just in general? You know, I was thinking about that and I, I really looked at the data to see if I could come up with anything. And I think there's maybe two. Um, the data suggests that the majority of women in, in who work in cannabis are using cannabis multiple times a day. So maybe the myth is that we're just all high all the time. <laughs> Um, and we say that's not the case because the data also says, you know, we asked, do you, which of these do you consume at work? You know, CBD, THC in microdoses, THC in regular doses, and only 27% said they consume THC in regular doses while during the workday. I know I'm one of those. Um, and that's compared to 11% of consumer, uh, typical cannabis consumers. So it's a pretty big difference there. The other one I would say is that women don't like to smoke flour. Um, and I would say that, you know, we asked which um, method works best for you, both for medicinal reasons and recreational, and 77% prefer to smoke flour for recreational use and 70 for medicinal use. So yes, edibles are what bring new consumers in, but the women who work here, the majority like to smoke. 
Absolutely. Well, I know so many highly functional people that smoke cannabis on a regular basis just to be normal, especially as someone like myself with ADHD, it is my go-to medicine to just be a normal person, you know, so I am grateful for the plant, but those are interesting, uh, interesting numbers. And I do know, I, I agree with those with the women I know as well, too. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. I hope we brought to you a little bit of enlightenment and uh, being that we are women in cannabis that support each other, please feel free to reach out to any of us. And we're happy to help you as you grow on your journey in cannabis and hope we uh, can help take you there. Thanks, you guys. I just love you both so much and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, everybody. You have been listening to The Cold Truth, where we explore and break the myths that surround the cannabis plant and ever-changing industry. A special thank you to our guests for their expertise. Have myths you're able to dispel? Join us as a guest. Or let us know what topics you would like to learn more about by contacting us at info at cryocure.com. Thank you for listening and see you on our next episode.